Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we're used to heat waves in California, but not one this intense in mid-June. We'll look at the places expected to break records with triple-digit heat for multiple days and how to stay cool. First, though, California's eviction moratorium, which has kept a lot of renters in their homes, is set to expire in two weeks. And many renters and landlords say they have not been able to access government programs aimed at helping to pay back rent. Just, it's just really scary uh, right now. The impact of ending eviction protections if lawmakers don't grant an extension. That's next on Forum. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Housing advocates are calling for an extension of California's eviction moratorium, which is set to expire in two weeks, especially since few renters and landlords have been able to access government programs aimed at helping tenants pay their past due rent. Francisco Duenas is head of Housing Now, a coalition of advocacy groups in California. We cannot open up the floodgates for further evictions when rent relief has not reached and had not had its impact. Joining me now is KQED housing reporter Molly Solomon, housing affordability reporter for KQED News. Molly Solomon, thanks for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So we know the pandemic has been really hard on low-income renters who've lost work and on property owners who haven't been able to collect rent. How helpful has the eviction moratorium been in terms of keeping people housed? Sure. I mean, let me just start by reminding folks what protections are currently, um, you know, going on right now. There's there's a pretty broad level of protection at both the local level, um, the state level, and at the federal level with the CDC eviction moratorium. And that's basically preventing folks from getting evicted who have fallen behind on rent for some sort of coronavirus-related reason, like they got sick themselves, they've had to take care of family members, um, or more, you know, the, the, the thing that's probably impacting the most amount of people is people who've lost work, they've lost their job because of shelter in place orders, um, or just the economy. 
Um, so the way that this is supposed to work is that no one's supposed to be evicted who fits that category. Um, and in order to be protected, though, you will have to still pay about a quarter of your rent to access those protections. Right. Um, so a lot of people have really been protected um, because of the protections that are in place. But like you said, those are set to expire at the end of this month. And regardless of when they expire, that rent will be do, I mean, there is a question as to whether or not lawmakers might grant an extension on the eviction moratorium. But what do we know about how many people owe back rent in California and about how much they owe? Yeah, you know, the question of rent debt is is one that we don't know for sure. But there are a couple things that have been, you know, trying to measure what the massive amount of rent that's been accumulating over the last year now um, and, and I should say kind of an asterisk to all of this is that, um, you know, there have been multiple different reports. I think there was a legislative analyst's office report that was last year that actually came in a lot lower than what most people expected. I think it was over about, um, she don't have the number right in front of me, but it was, I think it was about 400,000 uh, predicted that would be owed. Um, that's, you know, compared to what some other national measures have said that it could be over $4 billion rent that's owed. So, so definitely a, a, a big, uh, a big stretch there. And, and, and maybe it shows that we don't exactly know how much exactly is going to be owed and what the need certainly is. I should say too, that, you know, something that we've heard from, from tenants, from other advocates that have been helping folks try to access some of this rent relief is that there is also a hidden, uh, a hidden debt here. You know, people uh, maybe have been able to pay the rent, but they've been racking up their credit cards or going to family and friends to borrow money, um, draining their savings or taking out high interest loans um, just to avoid, you know, even the threat of eviction and to try to make hmm. good on at least some of their rent. Um, so I think it just shows that people are going to great lengths to make sure that that some of the rent is paid and that they are able to access some of the protections under the eviction moratoriums. Yes. And also demographically, we're finding that Black, Latino, Indigenous households are experiencing eviction risk at much higher rates than um, other groups in the state of California. So I want to invite our listeners to join the conversation. If you have questions about California's eviction moratorium or have an experience with the state's rental relief program to share, you can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, email us forum at kqed.org, or give us a call 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. So Molly Solomon, as we've been talking about, California has set up a rent relief program using federal dollars to help stave off a very much feared and talked about wave of evictions once the moratorium ends. First, can you tell us how that is designed to help, what it does? Sure. So this is federal money that actually came from the coronavirus relief package that was passed back in December last year. Um, and California got about $2.6 billion um, to distribute for folks that need rental assistance. Um, and the way that that money gets divided up is that the state keeps a large portion of it, about half, to use through their state-run portal that they've set up called Housing is Key. Um, and the rest of the money gets divided up among larger cities and counties across the state. So like San Francisco has its own pot of money to distribute um, same with Oakland and, and other major cities in California. 
Um, and the idea here is that if a landlord agrees to participate in this to get, you know, most of their rent debt cleared, um, they would have to accept that 80% of their rent debt would get cleared if they participated in this program. And, and, and they'd have to agree to just forgive the remaining amount, that remaining 20%. Um, you know, so, so they do have to, to give a little bit, but, but in the end, they're getting guaranteed rent cleared from, for most of the rent debt that's owed. Um, but you know what we found, uh, this program, it's, it, it opened in March, mid-March, the state opened it up on March 15th, and it's been really slow to get out to people. Um, mm. we, we did get an update from the state last week. My, my colleague, Aaron Baldessari, called to see what the latest numbers are, just on how many people have actually gotten a check. And it was only about 2% of folks that have applied have actually gotten that rent relief. So, you know, there's a lot of problems and we can get into that and, and, and frustrations on all ends from renters and landlords. Yes. Well, let's get into that. I mean, 2% is a very low number, it feels like. Yes. And I think that that has been just, um, you know, I have to say part of this is like from the state's end, this is something that they had to create. And, and I think one of the folks uh, who, who has helped, um, you know, at the, the state housing department has said, you know, they were kind of building it as, uh, or they were flying the plane as they were building it. You know, this is something that didn't exist before and the infrastructure for it didn't exist before. So it is, you know, part of this is also just bureaucratic and, and getting the system to operate uh, as you're figuring it out. Um, you know, but renters who have been owing rent that have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars sometimes owed in back rent, you know, they're really angry when, you know, one woman that I spoke with, she lives in Antioch, uh, she's got about $11,000 in back rent due. Uh, and, you know, they've been able to pay some other rent every month to avoid eviction, but they submitted their rental application, what, three months ago now, back in March when the program first opened, the first day that it opened. And it's just been total radio silence. They haven't heard anything back. You know, they've called the state hotline to, to check on their application. They've called their landlord to see if, you know, there needs to be anything done on their end. And it's just, you know, a real lack of communication that they've gotten on where their application is and when they might get, you know, the money to help with a lot of this, with this rent that's, you know, going to be due at some point. And I think their biggest fear is that we're going to hit the end of the month and they're not going to have heard anything back and they're not, and they're going to be stuck with potentially uh, a large debt. And then the fear of being evicted after all of this. Yes, that was that one person's experience. And then you spoke with another person, Jalen Bailey, who lives in Pasadena and works as a writer for film and television. And Jalen was was describing the experience of trying to get rent relief because Jalen owes $30,000 in back rent after much of her work dried up in the past year. And it's just describing just how it was, how hard it was to navigate the clunky system. Let's hear a little bit of Jalen Bailey. I'm pretty tech savvy. And it took me two weeks. The physical and emotional toll of this is very difficult to express. It is overwhelming because of its duration and the sense of isolation. We, we don't know where we are in the system. There's just been no communication. Yes, my understanding from your reporting, Molly, is that Jalen, that LA County has approved her application, but just has no idea what's happening when the money's supposed to come in. And I was also struck by just the toll she's describing of how long you're in this limbo period. Yeah, you know, and even just applying for the aid, like she said, she's somebody that has access to a computer. She's pretty tech savvy. You know, she 
she's she had applied for unemployment. So she navigated that system, too, and, and all of its, you know, difficulties, as we know. But for a lot of folks, you know, they might not have Internet access or they might just be trying to do this on their phone. And we talked to, you know, Jaylin said it took her like several hours just to get through the application. Um, so, I mean, this is a significant amount of documentation that was needed. She had to to look for, you know, her, her lease and, and different ways to prove that she had lost income. Um, and for, you know, luckily she was able to get all of that in and actually get her application, um, you know, complete and submitted and approved. But, you know, she, even her, she, she's been able to get through all this and she still has a barrier and hasn't been able to, to get the actual money that's due to her from the state. And, you know, I think some of this is bureaucratic um, and the state, you know, to its credit, has acknowledged that these are problems that exist uh, and that it has been slow going. You know, recently they said they've made a couple changes. Uh, they've added additional language translation, which was another barrier that had been criticized by a lot of tenant advocates that the application was only online and it was only available um, for the first several months in English and Spanish. It's since uh, had about five other languages added to the website. Um, and they've tried to improve the system a bit. Uh, they've streamlined the application and I think they've tried to remove a lot of the documentation barriers. So they're now letting tenants uh, basically self-certify um, and swear that, you know, uh, they lost their job or, you know, uh, they were paid in cash. So they might not have some of the documentation handy to upload to prove their employment status. Um, so I think that, you know, those are some changes that have been made that, that could simplify this process, but that was also very recent. Um, and so I think, um, you know, and I should say maybe what's holding up this, this log jam of applications is that, you know, the state is very concerned about fraud and sort of avoiding a lot mm -hmm. of the flaws that happened with the unemployment distribution of funds. So I think that there's a lot of concern about making sure that the rent relief is getting into the right hands of people who need it most, but in turn, that's also making it take a long time. We're talking about California's eviction protections that are scheduled to expire, the impact that they've had, and the impact of an inability to efficiently get rent relief the impact that that's having on Californians. We're talking with Molly Solomon, housing affordability reporter for KQED News. And if you want to join the conversation with your questions about the eviction moratorium, about the state's rental relief program, or experiences to share with both, you can do so by emailing us forum at kqed.org, getting on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, or calling us 866-733-6786. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. For more than a year, thousands of renters in California have been able to stave off evictions. 
thanks to a state moratorium, but that moratorium is set to expire at the end of June unless state lawmakers grant an extension. Meantime, government programs aimed at helping tenants who have only they these programs have only reached a small fraction of eligible renters. So we're talking about the prospects of extending eviction protections and the impacts on renters if the moratorium ends this month. And we're talking with Molly Solomon, housing affordability reporter for KQED News. And Molly, just before the break, you were talking about how the state is trying to improve its process, its system for getting rent relief to the people who need it most. The other piece of this, of course, is that it requires the uh, collaboration of both renter or tenant and landlord in many cases. What are landlords saying about this program? What, for example, uh, are advocates uh, for landlords encouraging them to do? Yeah, you know, I would say that tenants and landlords are equally frustrated right now <laughs> um, and equally confused and, and are kind of in the dark. And, and so, you know, it's it's been interesting. I've been following a couple different people um, through, uh, you know, trying to navigate this system right now. Um, one woman who I've been uh, keeping tabs on is a landlord in San Jose. She's got a couple different tenants who have been impacted by the pandemic and haven't been gotten their jobs back and it's, it's hit their ability to pay rent. Um, and, and I think she's got about $5,000 owed in back rent at this point. Um, and she is just so confused by what's been going on. You know, she initially, her tenants applied on the first, on the first day and, and she thought that the state was going to get in touch with her to get her information and verify that they were her tenants. Um, neither her nor her tenants heard anything from the state. And it's, you know, like I said, it's been about three months now. Um, she's tried to call the, um, you know, local officials. She's called the state hotline and, and no one seems to have any answers for her. Um, and she, you know, finally got so frustrated that she just filled out an application herself to see if maybe that would move things along. Um, so she did that earlier this month and, you know, she still hasn't heard a thing. And, and that's a similar frustration that she's heard from other, you know, landlords uh, within, you know, the San Jose, Santa Clara County area. Um, and what landlords are saying across the state is that, you know, there's a lot of mixed messages right now um, and it's very confusing. And a lot of them are being kept in the dark. You know, we talked with another building owner who's in San Francisco, um, and he said he's got like $100,000 in debt right now from, you know, multiple tenants in his building not being able to pay. And, you know, I think something that sometimes gets lost in this conversation um, is how much this is also hurting, you know, especially small property owners. Um, you know, people like Jenny Zhao, she says that she's got bills to pay. She had to pay the property taxes already. You know, these are things that she can't just hold off on. And while there are, you know, some forbearance programs that have helped with the mortgage payments, you know, there are still employees that she still has to pay uh, to help run these buildings or right. to maintain these properties. Um, so I think that the bigger concern here, too, when we think bigger picture and what Jenny has expressed over time is that how long can can I really hold on here and, and why am I not getting answers and why are we not getting this rent relief that we've been waiting for? Um, you know, I, I think the bigger concern is, is it going to get to a point where this could lead to me having to get out of the landlord business? You know, if I can't hold off any longer, you know, will I have to sell this property? Um, is this going to result in a foreclosure for her? Um, so I think it's something that, you know, is part of the the bigger housing chain here and, and could potentially throw the whole thing off. 
Yes, and the the California Apartment Association, as I understand it, is encouraging landlords to try to help tenants and work together for rent relief because it is their best chance of getting at least 80% of uh, their back rent or rent that is due or owed to them. I'm wondering, though, how landlords are feeling about prospects of extending the eviction moratorium and what you're hearing on that front from the governor or lawmakers. Sure. You know, I mean, like we said earlier, the moratorium, as it is now, it's set to expire at the end of this month. Um, You know, there are conversations that are being had about whether or not that will get extended. You know, we don't necessarily know what's going to happen. Those conversations are not necessarily happening in a public way. They're happening largely between the governor and legislative leaders. Um, But, you know, something that's interesting that I've that I've seen is that the California Apartment Association, you know, while I don't think that they want the moratorium extended as much as tenant advocates do, which is maybe like for the rest of the year is what a lot of tenant groups want. Um, You know, I do think that they're open to the idea of keeping it going a little bit longer or, or a little longer if that means that that gives the state more time to get the rent relief checks out. Mm. You know, I think that there is some understanding there that, okay, you know, it's been slow going, that the process has been, you know, log jammed with either, you know, a difficult time going through the applications and verifying everything. So if maybe if we give you a couple more weeks or another month, and and then we're able to really get through these applications and get the rent checks in the mail, um, then we could hold off for a little bit longer on this moratorium. I think there's, that's kind of what's being negotiated right now. Um, You know, and, and, you know, what we do know is that, uh, you know, Newsom has also made some statements is that he wants to actually expand the rent relief program to pay landlords back 100% of the rent debt owed. Um, He made that statement when he was coming out with some of his budget proposals uh, last month. Um, Details haven't really been clear on what that means. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that the landlord lobbying groups and CAA were were happy to hear that. Um, But yes, I think in terms of, uh, you know, whether or not this is going to get extended, you know, I, I would say let's look at what happened back in January when it got extended uh, the last time. You know, that was something that really happened in the 11th hour. So I think that that might be what we see again. Well, this listener writes, the rent relief program is only for people who earn up to 80 percent of median area income. So what about people who earn above that and are behind on rent? Are we still likely to see lots of evictions when the moratorium eventually expires? I think that's a really good point, you know, that this state program uh, and a lot of the local programs, like I said, you know, bigger cities and counties across the state got their own pots of money where they could create their own local programs with different rules than what the state is doing. Um, Those tended to be more targeted to uh, extremely low income renters, people that were making even less, 30% AMI in some places. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's, uh, you know, I'm sympathetic to that. There are going to be landlords who have tenants who don't make, you know, who don't meet those income qualifications, um, who don't qualify, um, you know, and I think that I, I understand that frustration. But, you know, I think that the way that the system was set up was it was meant to be um, getting to people who, who most needed the money. And it was supposed to be an attempt to make it an equitable system. Um But, you know, that in itself has also, it seems like, become a barrier to get rent relief to all the people who owe money. Um, But it's the approach that the state decided to take. And it's tied to, you know, federal rules that were put in place by the U.S. Treasury as well. Well, 
We just have a couple of minutes left with you, Molly. And I was wondering if you could just remind us of the impacts of eviction on families. It is really one of the most disruptive and difficult things for people to experience, right? Yeah, you know, I think that we don't think enough about just the weight that something like an eviction carries on people. And and this is, you know, beyond losing your home, which as we've been hearing throughout this whole pandemic is so necessary, not only to stay safe, but to prevent the spread of coronavirus. Um, and But, you know, I think more than that, what it does is it also, uh, it affects your future housing. You know, it's it puts a mark on your record. It can hurt your credit score. It can... Uh, remove families from the schools that they've had their kids in and the neighborhoods that they've formed connections in. So it really is uh, a huge disruption on people's lives. And it can really create more of a barrier for folks when they look for housing after this. You know, it can put a mark on your record for future landlords to look at your application and, and not rent to you um, because you have an eviction on your record. Um, so I think that it's important to understand that what people, you know, this this feared wave of evictions, you know, it'll have a much bigger impact. And I think what happens to folks after an eviction is also important to consider. And there is a fear that this could also contribute to a rise in homelessness, something that, uh, you know, wouldn't be good for anybody. Well, Molly Solomon, I know you just recently did a piece on tips for accessing rental relief. So hopefully folks can check that out. And Molly Solomon, thank you for your reporting on this. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Molly Solomon is housing affordability reporter for KQED News. We'll be talking heat wave next. So stay with us. This is Farah. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening 
because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.